Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, so here we are in another week, and uh, man, has the world moved fast since we uh, were together last week, Jason. Dude, nonstop. I, I mean, when we got done with that podcast, a, a day later, I, I got a, a text about a, a woman who's in Ukraine who had talked to us. She gave us a, you know, the lay of the land on the ground, and I've stayed in touch with her. If you listen to that emergency episode the other day, I stayed in touch with her. She and her daughter are fine. They're out there to the west of Kiev. And the Russian troops really haven't gotten to Kiev yet, so they are still okay. But she's wow. still in. They're still in Ukraine, though. They still are there. Yeah, she couldn't get out ahead of time, and she has people. She's uh, a few disabled people and a few older people. She's trying to uh, help out who could not evacuate themselves, so she stayed behind with her daughter to help them. Well, it's stunning when you listen just to the individual stories, and then you multiply that by how many people are affected oh, yeah. there. And, and and I'm sure that you're like I am, like everybody else is, where you just. You're almost glued to just watching this on TV. It, it, it's it's such an odd thing to be able to watch a war unfolding in real time. I mean, we've seen some of that in some conflicts, but this feels like more so than ever before, where you're you're seeing it as it's happening, and it's almost like you you have a uh, you know a front row seat, uh, and and you start to put yourself in those situations and think, golly, what would I do? You know, what, how right. would I handle that? And remember back in what, 91 and CNN was, uh, you know, covering the, the first Gulf War and we thought that was happening yeah. in real time. Yeah. Th this with Twitter and social media, this really is happening in real time. And, you know, for the journalists over there, for the people in Ukraine, um, man, I, you know, I, I'm so proud to see the world rallying behind them as, as Putin, uh, you know, invades there. But this and calls for a beer, man. You I, know? Yeah. What are you having? take a, a little bit of edge off. I have a beer today. It's not a Texas brew, but it is a beer from a listener. Hmm. Okay, that counts. It's a Polar Pilsner. Polar Pilsner, okay. Yeah, so it's a, a Polar type beer, a Pilsner type beer. It's Polar is the name brand. It's from, it's brewed in Florida, but it's from Venezuela. So you um, you just get uh, listeners giving you beers now? You, that, you, are you not getting that? That has you, not happened. You aren't. Oh, I'm sorry, man. My refrigerator's <laughs> full here. I'll, I'll send you a couple. But this is a, a Pilsner. It's a lighter beer. He knows that uh, I like this type of beer, so let's try it out here. Nice. I, you know, that's really good. You're, you're kind of obligated to say that if somebody gave it to you, though, aren't no, you? I, I, well, you are, but I, I know this guy. He happens to listen to us all the time. Okay. Uh, he's from Venezuela. Matias, if you're listening, hmm. thanks for the beer. Matias, if you're listening, I do the podcast, too. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> I, what do you have, dude? What I'm sticking drinking? with a Texas beer today. I've got a Shiner Toasted Amber, it's called. Wow. I've never had that. Uh, uh, but I saw it. It sounds it good. spoke to me. Yeah, it sounds good. So, so here goes nothing. And, you know, so to pick our, our conversation back up again, uh, I will say um, that one of the things that I've taken away from watching all of this is a lot of inspiration uh, when you look at, you know, it, it's kind of a David and Goliath uh, story, you know, and I've taken a lot of inspiration from what the Ukrainian people have been able to do so far against this absolute war machine that's coming at them. Uh, it's, it's, it's inspiring to see that. It's inspiring to see their resolve and, and what they've been able to do with what they've got. 
Um, the thing is, is war affects everybody, though. And you, yeah. you start to look at the reverberations around the world uh, when something like that happens. And, I, you know, before this happened, I think you could probably ask a lot of people here, hey, uh, point to Ukraine on a map. Nobody, you know, half the people at least would not be able to do that. Um, it, but this affects us. And so now we have to know where that is and what's going on and why that's going on, because it has effects all over the world. And we've seen that here in recent days. And it even, you know, trickles down to economy. And, you know, we're seeing our gas prices go up because of directly because of what's happening over there. And sadly, there are always winners and losers in war. Um, and that includes not just the, the armies on the battlefield. It includes uh, economies and industries. And it turns out, you know, as, as, as horrible and crass as it sounds, uh, that Texas is benefiting financially from what is happening in Ukraine right now. Yeah, a little primer here, too, for our listeners who might not realize it. You know, Texas and the U.S. Uh, produce a lot of oil and gas, natural gas. OPEC, the Middle East, produces a lot of oil and natural gas. And the other massive player on the energy market is Russia. And there was a lot of concern, Jason, as you know, that when all this started, that uh, the gas prices might go up. Members of Congress were kind of warning us on our political TV program, Inside Texas Politics, that, that uh, we could start paying more at the pump because of this. But of all the sanctions that the European Union, that President Biden and others have, have enacted against Russia for this invasion of a democratic country, they have not placed any sanctions on oil and gas. Hmm. Because when you remove a massive player like that from the market, that means everyone else's oil and gas goes up, uh, that the prices of the pump go up, et cetera. We're already, you know, we're already seeing inflation. No one wants to add to that. But the question is, what if Putin decided to turn off his oil and gas supplies to the rest of the world? What would that do? He could, he could hit us, uh, you know, thousands of miles away in, in uh, North America and South America and Australia and all these places if he did that. Yeah, that's a valid question, too. So, yeah, so, so to, to get a, a gauge of how this might impact us, how it's affecting the boys out in the oil patch in the Permian Basin, we, uh, we, we go to our uh, reliable source for this. It's Todd Staples. He's the former Texas Land Commissioner. He is currently, though, the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, who happens to be in a car joining us for this podcast. Where, where are you going, Todd? Where, 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 you're in the car. Where are you off to, man? Yeah, I'm in Houston today. I've got several meetings lined up uh, and giving talks to different groups. And so it's a busy day for me today. But at least I'm not in the airplane going back and forth to Midland today. This worked yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Are, are y'all talking about Ukraine at all? You know, it's very much on the minds of everyone that we encounter. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crisis that we haven't experienced in quite some time. Our hearts go out to those people, but uh, it is very much a focus of what's going on in our industry and obviously the world. Can you talk to us just a little bit about what is going on in Texas with regard to uh, Europe uh, especially because we've heard so much in this Ukraine crisis about how uh, Europe could, you know, be cut off from oil and gas uh, because it depends on Russia so much. What has Texas been doing in recent months there? Well, Texas has been growing. Uh, as we all know, the pandemic really took an impact on production. That production has been coming back. Our rig count in the United States is back up to around 650 rigs uh, nationally. That's over to about 250 more than it was about a year ago in texas we are over 300 rigs that are operating 
you know, almost uh, double of, of what we were a, a year or so ago. And so Texas has been rebounding. Uh, Texas has population. Texas has resources. And the state of Texas has policies that actually treats oil and gas as an asset rather than a liability. And I think what this uh, war in Ukraine really demonstrates to the world today, and I hope it brings it home here to America, is that energy security and national security are inextricably tied. And this is a, a message that we've been trying to communicate the last few years, but uh, it seems that, that it hasn't really been heard and received. But when we think about Europe today and the crisis that they face, we know it's because of, uh, of the war, certainly, but having energy that fuels daily life is so imperative. And Texas and America is playing a bigger role and can do more. Todd, I dropped my kids off at school this morning, went to fill up with gas. And as we all know, gas is about a dollar more now than it was this time last year. You just mentioned the rig count. Um, Texas has an adequate supply of oil and gas, obviously, and there are more working rigs out in the field right now. So why am I paying more for gas these days? Usually what you see is when um, when there is a, a shortage of supply, you'll see the industry ramp up. But there's been so many things and obstacles that have been put into place over the past couple of years that it's really limited the kind of growth that we've seen in previous years. Uh, we know that the administration has canceled the Keystone Pipeline. We know that they have delayed uh, drilling on federal lands. We know that they have uh, not kept up with the schedule on offshore drilling. And we know that there's been a lot of concerns um, uh, from Wall Street and investing in oil and gas. And so you haven't seen the type of interest that you've seen in previous years. And it's really kind of amazing because oil and natural gas is really the leader in improving our environmental circumstances. Uh, oil and gas is delivering solutions to the concerns about our climate. And so if we want to address these concerns, the best way to do it to keep the quality of life that we have and to address the concerns about our climate is to unleash innovation and technology, the types of things that has really built the American dream. And we think energy has the solutions to improve our environment and to maintain our economy all at the same time. Well, well did, did we just get behind in, in production? Is that what it is when the Biden administration came in? Do you think we just got behind and, and we're trying to catch up or what? I think it's a combination of things, Jason. The pandemic really was a huge catalyst that obviously when demand stopped overnight, when oil was trading for negative $37 a barrel, it you know chilled investment. And then we've seen the COVID, the different variants come along line, and then we had a new administration. So it's a combination of things. Very seldom in economics uh, is it just one single thing, but we do know that, that the, the chilling of investment has been uh, a difficulty. And, you know, if you think about the Ukraine war right now and, and what those individuals are suffering in the entire uh, European area, uh, the United States, Qatar, and Russia has provided about 70% of the LNG over this last year. And so with Russia now doing what they're doing and the sanctions that have been placed on them, um, they, you'll notice that the sanctions have not been for oil and gas uh, uh, exploration and, and exporting because you need that to sustain life, and they recognize that. However, and, uh, the impact on the financial uh, arrangements could come to play, and that's why America can be a friend to our allies and to make certain that we're producing here. And when you say LNG, that's liquefied natural gas, which is uh, you know, able to be exported uh, across the ocean there. 
And that really has uh, I mean, that hasn't been something that we've you know had the ability to do forever and ever, Todd. Um, that, that's kind of a new uh, game changer, isn't it? And, and, and Texas has been expanding tremendously there just in a short number of years, uh, sending that LNG out of uh, Corpus Christi and Freeport. That's a, that's a great point. A few years ago, we thought we were going to be importing liquefied natural gas to meet our own needs. But because of innovation, because of the technological breakthroughs, uh, because of the shell play, hydraulic fracturing combined with horizontal drilling, We've now discovered hundreds of years of natural gas available right here in the United States. And so, we, as you mentioned, we have uh, Chenier and Freeport LNG that are up and running. Uh, we have uh, Golden Pass LNG in the Beaumont area that is under construction. They anticipate they'll be, um, it's already underway in a, in a year or so, they'll be exporting LNG. And we have some more LNG facilities in Brownsville area that are being contemplated today. But, you know, FERC, uh, our Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, has to approve these projects. We've seen them taking a long time. We've seen them uh, interjecting some other processes that could lead to delays. And so, again, oil and natural gas is an asset, not a liability. Oil and natural gas is a fundamental um, cornerstone of the Texas economy. Just in 2021, this industry paid $15.8 billion dollars in state and local taxes and state royalties alone. That's $43 million a day that are funding our schools, funding our roads and funding our universities. And, and this doesn't include the billions and billions in payroll and other assets that this industry provides. And the world is getting a glimpse of this. And, and we know that prices have been escalated uh, very highly overseas for quite some time. And here's the thing. Oil and gas companies in America and in Texas and that are members of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, they want stability. They want to reduce volatility and they want certainty in the planning process. And um, no one wants to see artificially inflated prices because that creates disruptions in the marketplace uh, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it changes long-term planning. And so we're hopeful that there will be a resolve to this pretty soon. Yeah, I think everyone is. We'll get into those numbers in a moment because we're really interested in, in the tax implications um, that all this could hold. And to reiterate what you said, too, about how, uh, you know, oil and gas can can affect climate change. It's important to note that for as big of a push as there is on electric vehicles right now, LNG runs about half of the actual power plants, power generating plants that we all learned about last year during the February freeze. LNG runs about half of those, so uh, in order to charge your electric car, you need uh, gas running into those power plants. Let me let me tell you something I read the other night, and I didn't expect this. This was last night when I read this uh, on Twitter. The Russians and Ukrainians, this energy analyst said, are fully cooperating right now. This was on Sunday. Fully cooperating to send more Russian gas through Ukrainian pipelines to European buyers who will pay the Russians, who will then use the proceeds to invade Ukraine. Here's the line. War above ground, capitalism below. <laughs> you mentioned Russian oil is not being sanctioned. We're all watching that. Uh, so that, that oil is still on the market. The, the Biden administration obviously is, is concerned that by sanctioning that oil, that that could just exacerbate the inflation we're seeing now. So is the Russian invasion of Ukraine really impacting the boys in the oil patch out in West Texas? I think it's disrupting the global planning process, Jason. I mean, 
We know that in Texas, we're, um, as I mentioned, we've got good policies here, we've got good resources, and we have a good population and workforce. And so uh, our industry is moving forward and, and uh, doing the things that it needs to do in response for the irreplaceable role that oil and gas plays. But globally, it is changing the dynamics quite a bit because you, you think about the role that OPEC Plus has played in the last couple of years that we've all seen, we've all talked about. We had a glut of oil. All that was restricted. We had policies that were discouraging the exploration process. And, that, and, and that's the reason that the prices are escalated now. There are two laws that we can never, ever, ever get around. And those are the laws of supply and the laws of demand. And that's what we're seeing right now. That's why we're experiencing these prices. And then the, just the sheer uncertainty, because look, if you think about the world's you know, population and production, the United States is the leader in oil production today. We produce a little over 11 million barrels of oil a day in this country. Um, um, it needs to grow to 12 or 13 million barrels. The second largest producer is Russia. They were a little less than 10 um, a, a day. And then the third is Saudi Arabia, and they're a little above nine a day. And so you see how uh, closely that related this is. In fact, you have, um, you know, Canada is a big player as well, as well as Mexico. Let me, I'm sorry, Jason, let me ask this. Obviously, the oil and oil and gas in Russia isn't being sanctioned. But what happens if Putin decides to punish the West and turn off his spigots to everyone else? What does that do? I think you're going to see um, more scarcity, uh, less supply. But but this is how he runs his country and funds his country. I mean, this is fundamental to their way of life. And so I don't know that they the long term game is going to go there. However, it will impact substantially. Now, in the United States, you know, we import very little um, uh, Russian crude oil. If you think about our system and the way we're designed, our refineries, which are primarily located along the Texas Gulf Coast, we, we're home to uh, almost, uh, almost a third of the entire United States refining capacity. These refiners use a blends of oil to produce the products that we rely upon every day. Some of those we don't have for um, uh, produced in this country in large enough quantities, and, and some areas of our country also imports uh, all from other areas just because of geological issues, or they don't have the infrastructure in place. We know the Northeast has stopped pipelines of, of liquefied natural gas, and they've stopped development in the states like New York. And those, those areas are suffering much more than what we are today if you look at prices at the pump and the prices to heat and cool the homes. If the uh, Russian supply did get uh, interrupted for whatever reason, though, Todd, how much capacity do we have here, you know, particularly in Texas, uh, to ramp up. Uh, it sounds like, you know, things are going pretty fast right now. Do we have the capacity? You know, if Europe said, hey, uh, can you double that? Uh, w- would we have the capacity to do that? I, I, we do have the capacity to do it. But because of the supply chain issues that we've all been facing in our homes the last few days and going to grocery stores and those shelves not being stocked full like we normally see, that is going to limit our ability uh, to respond immediately. And so um, we've, got, we've got great infrastructure in place. We have tremendous port capability to help meet the needs of our allies, but it does take a while. If you'll look at a lot of our companies in uh, Texas and in the United States, 
they've all been talking about limiting their growth the, to around a 5% range for their forecast for 2022. In previous years, they were looking at 10 and 15 and 20% growth. And so we have the ability to ramp up, but it does take time. And let's look at it like this. If you ramp up immediately and then none of that's needed, then you've all of a sudden, you, you, you've got big problems of personnel issues and those things that you have to manage. And so, I, you know, the short term, it, it, uh, this type of situation uh, indicates more uncertainty and more volatility. Hmm. Todd, how concerning is it that, that, that Putin, for as unpredictable as he is, might actually shut off Russian gas if he's, you know, boxing to a corner? It, it, are people talking about this? I, 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 Jason, I haven't that completely. I, the, what I've heard more about is the rest of the world stopping to buy Russian oil and Russian gas. And so, but you know, look, these actions are certainly not rational actions of what we're seeing to take place here in the Ukraine. And so I don't know, but, uh, you know, what he ultimately may do. But I know this, their entire economy is an energy-based economy. And so if you take away those sales, it's going to be very impactful uh, to Russia. But it's also going to be impactful to those, you know, countries that have been relying on that product. You know, Todd, uh, Jason was just making the point a few minutes ago about how odd it is that Ukraine and Russia are still cooperating right now, though, on sending that Russian gas through Ukraine into Europe. Um, Usually, you know, the politics gets pulled out uh, when you start talking about oil and gas. But I thought it was really interesting over the weekend that BP, British uh, Petroleum, pulled out of uh, its partnership with the Russian state owned uh, oil uh, company there called Rosneft. Um, that was a tremendous pain point for BP, too. They had made a lot of money uh, with that relationship, but they decided, you know, that this is just a bridge too far. We can't support this company that is owned by that country that is doing these things. Uh, how significant is it for a company like that to take a stand like that uh, in your industry? And, you know, we know that there are other companies that are tied up with Russian companies. Are we likely to see more of that? I think the move by BP underscores just how serious of a moment this is in world history. I think they are taking their role and responsibility and uh, extremely seriously. And I think they are uh, have made a, a huge statement when you have ownership of a company to that size and then you announced that you are going to divest your position in that company. And I think it does kind of reset the table on uh, what we're going to be doing going forward. And I think that move in and of itself was likely uh, a a very loud signal uh, to, uh, you know, to Putin on just how serious the world is taking this steps. Um. Todd, we're, we're, you're on the road yourself right now. We're, we're closing yeah. in on spring break, obviously, here at the start of March. Uh, people will be either driving somewhere or flying somewhere, probably, because everyone wants to get out of the house. Um, would you expect gas prices to go back down? Because some analysts were saying they expect it to get even higher by the summer. You know, if I could predict gas prices, <laughs> I wouldn't have to work for a living anymore. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. I, you know, I do, I do think this type of... Um, escalation around the world really just underscores why we need an energy plan for America that is based on a rational conversation 
because consumers are the ones that are negatively impacted when things don't work out as planned. And we, we, we are working as an oil and gas industry for a cleaner, better, stronger future. We are working toward lower emissions. We are working to have even improved refined fuels today to meet the concerns that uh, we know exist about our climate. But we also know that we rely on uh, uh, energy to fuel our daily lives. And, um, um, you know, you mentioned our electric grid. Um, it, last year, I think it was about 42, 43% of our power supply was from natural gas. I think ERCOT is predicting that might drop to 39% this year. And so we, we need a reliable system. We depend upon that for our lives and our livelihood. And I think the big issue we need to be looking at is what is Texas energy plan and what is our nation's energy plan? And is that going to provide the basic needs of our citizens for growth and security and for environmental progress? And, and it really can be all wrapped up into one, but we have to have a rational conversation about how that occurs. Todd, I know that you are uh, there in Houston right now for some meetings and that you've taken refuge in your car so that you can talk to us. So uh, I, I don't want the meeting to sort of develop around your car there. So I've got one more for you here. Um, the you know, When we see oil and, and, and natural gas just shooting through the roof price wise right now, uh, I think a lot of people would think that the companies are loving this because they're making you know crazy money right now. You said earlier, though, that nobody likes these artificially high prices that are created because of the crisis uh, that's happening across the world. Would that nobody com includes those companies? Yeah, I think companies in Texas and in America are based on stability and um, long-term growth, long-term projections. And so when you have volatility like this, it creates uncertainty in the marketplace. It disrupts natural supply chain issues that are ongoing. And so, I mean, look, we want to make certain that people around the world are safe, they're secure, and that's our goal and that's what our hope is. And that's why having a domestic energy supply that is strong, that is stable, that is encouraged to be able to respond and meet the needs of Americans and our friends and allies across the globe is so important when it comes to a stable energy policy. Todd, before we let you go, I do want to ask about money because that's kind of what we're talking to our next guest about too. Oil and gas tax revenues you mentioned earlier this year, uh, you know, equaled billions of dollars and, and millions into public education. Um, these oil and gas tax revenues last year turned out to be even more than Glenn Hager, the state comptroller, uh, estimated, as you guys know. Do you expect it to go up again this coming biennium, this next two years? You know, if these prices stay uh, at this level on a prolonged basis, it's going to generate windfall um, revenues to the state of Texas. Uh, our rainy day fund, our permanent university fund, our permanent school fund will all benefit tremendously. And so it's it's so early to tell. I mean, our year is, you know, we're this is the last day of February. We're just into this year. Uh, and think, as we know, in 2020, all was trading in a negative, negative values. And so it's, it's so early to tell, but we need to have that stable growth that uh, you can depend on uh, as communities can depend upon, because uh, that's what's important is to be able to meet the needs of their citizens. So, but at, at this stage, Jason, it looks like the state of Texas and taxpayers are going to be big winners 
because we'll, there'll be more revenues that will go into, you know, funding highways, which we all need more of in the state of Texas based on our population growth and to fund our school systems across the state as well. And this and, is and despite what's going on in Ukraine, you think? Yeah, because as you know, these price points, the severance tax is impacted significantly uh, by the prices. Um, uh, our ad valorem taxes that we pay on mineral property values are, you know, they're impacted by the prices. And as a, you know, Glenn Hager does a great job as our controller. There's no way anyone could have predicted what's going on today and the price points. And so state budget wise, it was built on a budget at a much lower price for oil and lower price for gas for natural gas. So it's actually being propelled even more by what's happening over in Ukraine because that has made the the petroleum markets so crazy. Uh, and and you know you almost hate to, for the state to benefit you know off of something bad that's happening somewhere else. But just to be clear, uh, you know this goes back even into last year before this all happened. Uh, the oil and gas uh, revenues have just been outpacing what was forecast. It, it's it's been nuts, and that was due to the fact that the world is waking back up again from the pandemic and, and just needs the oil and gas. That's right. The, those two, the, the law of supply and the law of demand, you, <laughs> they're inescapable. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what's driving the price points at this stage. You know what else is inescapable is that meeting that you need to get into right now before Thank they you. come out there. Todd, thank you so much for uh, taking shelter there in the car and doing this with us. We really appreciate it. Great to be with you both. Take care and have a good day. So, you know, our, our, our listeners might pick up on this if they listen a lot, that, that I'm usually the one posing the last question because Wheeler just has a list of them. Well, in this case, <laughs> I had like three pages of questions for Todd Staples and, you know, four questions in for me. Wheeler's bailing out of the podcast. All right. Yeah. Good to talk to you, Todd. Take care. We'll see you later. I'm like, Are you kidding me? That's because this guy, left, man. this guy's got like 150 people waiting inside a room uh, for him to come in there for this meeting. And he's, you know, hunkering down in his car to talk to us. Time's valuable, man. Uh, right. So and, and, you know, these people in oil and gas right now, they're busier than they've been in years. And so, you know, the time is especially valuable. So, so the big question is, if oil and gas is, is going to create this windfall of revenue for the state of Texas, what in the world do state legislators spend it on? That's the big question, because let me tell you something. I, it, it, again, it, regular listeners will know that I want my property taxes lowered. Property taxes in the state are insane. They're the seventh highest in the country, and, and they've got to be brought down some form or fashion. And that's debatable how they're brought down. But... Another yeah. guy who really believes this is State Senator Paul Betancourt, who we also, Jason, call on. What, what are you all expecting at the legislature? you think this might be a, have a little more cash in the coffers than years before? Oh, there's no question because of the sales tax increase that has been now uh, 20% for several months. In addition to oil and gas severance uh, revenue being way up because the price of oil is way up, uh, we're certainly going to have probably a, a record surplus. Uh, my guess is, you know, double digit billions in the, you know, in, you know, on the rainy day fund as well as on on reserve. Yeah, because it's, we're looking at just oil and gas and at least on the pace that it's been on in these first five months of this 24 month budget cycle. Uh, you guys are on pace to bring in like three and a half billion more than was expected just with oil and gas. Sure. Uh, where does all that money? So, so, so what happens with all of that money when you all get to the legislature again? Well, a part of that money is already geared towards 
uh, transportation that was a constitutional amendment that was passed uh, and a bill that was passed uh, several sessions ago. So part of it, uh, part of that surplus goes into uh, transportation right now. And, uh, and basically what will happen is, I mean, I'll be talking about trying to use it for property tax relief. Uh, other people will be talking about more transportation money. There'll be a series of, of, of uses for it. But the principle I've got is when you have excess money, you have to give back some of it uh, back to the taxpayers because th- that's where the money comes from in the first place. You're speaking my language, Senator. I, I always want y'all to buy down my property taxes if possible. Y'all, y'all, y'all did that uh, a session or two ago. Uh, you said transportation. So we know property taxes will likely be on the table as well, too, to potentially buy that down, but more towards education. But what's what's transportation? Expanding roads or what? Well, I've just heard that uh, through I've, I've heard through channels uh, that there may be a transportation initiative out of the House. Um, and when you look at the property tax side, we already passed a bill twice out of the Senate that split the excess revenues to buy down M&O taxes. Um, so, uh, and, and M&O for our listeners are maintenance and operations, which is what the school district you know, uses our property tax money for to, to budget. Right. Because the whole purpose is as appraised values have been going up, you want tax rates to come down, which is to try to hold you know, your tax bills as close as possible, you know, uh, to uh, you know what they were the year before, but with this type of surplus, there's going to be not only property tax relief. I would be suspect that will be a priority for some people, like myself and others. But there'll be other issues like transportation, et cetera. Senator, when you say that you're going to bring up property tax relief, uh, do you already? I mean, you know, do you jot this stuff down on a napkin before we get to an actual <laughs> bill? Can you give us anything at this point as to what you're thinking? Well, Senate Bill 1 from the third special session is a really good place to start because that passed out nearly unanimously out of the Senate. And basically it said, if you've got a surplus general revenue, you cut it in half, put half into buying down uh, school property taxes, and then the other half uh, is used for whatever purposes. And that passed 30 to 1 out of the Senate. Hmm. So that's a good place to start. Um, you mentioned the, the House talking about a transportation initiative. Tell us what that means in, in layman's terms. What, what does the House want to do and, and uh, what is the Senate going to, how is it going to react to it? I, I can't tell you. I've just heard that that may be a priority of the speaker, but I, I haven't spoken to him, can't speak for him, don't know any of the details. Well, when we talk about transportation, though, I mean, obviously everyone knows, you know, no, you know, no one likes toll roads in the state. and Those have been uh, on, on hiatus, I guess is what you'd, you'd call it. Um, we know we don't get enough money back from our federal gas tax. So is, is there a push right now in the legislature to, to find money, to expand roads, to rebuild bridges, stuff like that? Well, I think that clearly there's going to be some money available for infrastructure. What the form is going to be is up to really the, uh, you know, the 181 people that vote on it. Uh, more importantly, look, I, I've always been a proponent for let's try to build free roads first as opposed to tolls, uh, especially when you have a surplus. Uh, And and when you look at all of this, uh, that what you want to do is make sure that if you have surplus monies, you give part back to the taxpayers for sure. I think at least half should go. And then you need to really think about what you're spending and try to stay away from one time. I mean, a 
uh, multi-year expenditures with that surplus that you can't you can't uh, you know say that you're going to have this type of windfall in the future. I was going to say windfalls are really great, but uh, can't they also be dangerous? It's it's dangerous for everybody's pocketbook. You know, when somebody gets a big lump of cash, especially government, and they spend it like the federal government does, and then next year they want more money. So that's fortunately not going to happen in Texas because we've got a balanced budget amendment. They don't. And we have a bunch of budget hawks like myself and, and many other good colleagues that always look for uh, one-time expenditures uh, for windfalls as opposed to trying to obligate the state to many years of, of, of expenditures that you don't know you have the money for. So, so what else is on the, uh, the, the hope to-do list that you have? There, Senator. What else do you want to spend some cash on if you could? Well, you know, I, look, we're, we're talking about to do property tax relief because of inflation. And this is something that people are going to have to understand. We've got a budget that that is uh, not only balanced, but it's limited by population growth times inflation. So there's going to be a lot of inflated costs in here. The fact that we've had already $5 billion of buy-down in the school tax system is going to cost a lot more money. So before I, I, you know, before I ever get up on a wish list, uh, I always go back to give the money back to the taxpayers, but it's going to take billions of dollars to do this, even though we have you know, billions in new surplus, but just to stay up with the property tax relief and do more, it's going to be billions. So that's going to be my primary emphasis. Let me ask you this, you know, considering that we've had big budget surpluses in Texas before, um, how important is it to you that a good amount of this gets set aside? Because, you know, we've been flush with cash before. Uh, and then a couple of years later, you know, we've seen, especially during the pandemic, things can really go off the rails. And then, you know, all of these different state agencies are being told, hey, cut your budgets by 10 percent. How important is it that we learn that lesson, uh, especially from what we went through in the pandemic? Well, because you mentioned the pandemic, there's a lot of cash out there that went straight from the federal government into hospitals, into cities and counties, uh, into not only state government, but school districts. So there's already a reserve of this, you know, uh, you know, enormous amount of money that the federal government effectively printed and sent out to everyone as a stimulus. Now, you've got that cash, plus we're generating our own. So you really have to be careful to look forward and not uh, think that you're going to get that type of windfall next time because it simply won't happen. You know, I hope we don't have another COVID. If we do, uh, we, we're never going to have a stimulus of this magnitude because, we, quite frankly, even federally, because we can't afford it. So we have to take care of the money we have to make sure we're spending it wisely. Let me ask you about Ukraine, because the, uh, you know, the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association, Todd Staples, said that what's happening over there could impact uh, what's happening at the oil patch here in Texas. Um, are, are you concerned that, that things over there could get out of hand and that could impact? the state budget among other things? Well, let's break a little news here. This is, uh-oh, what do you got? This is actually a, uh, a letter that I sent in Lieutenant Governor Patrick uh, asking for an interim charge about, uh, about the Russian Federation, specifically about whether or not we should be investing in the Russian Federation, our pension funds or any other agency mm -hmm. funds or, or, or university funds, et cetera. Um, 
that is, and I've already got about another five uh, senators signed on to that. Uh, we'll do another uh, re release of this. I think it's very important that we recognize the obvious that uh, while the uh, when you look at just a budgetary perspective, you have instability in the world that drives up the price of oil. However, what, what the real question is, what's our long-term fiduciary responsibility to our taxpayers, to you know, what's the moral right thing to do? And quite frankly, it's to stop doing business uh, with the Russian Federation. And specifically, we need to be looking at pulling our pension fund investments out. Uh, and, and that's what this uh, interim charge at, at request is for the lieutenant governor to form a Senate committee and have this studied. Is, well, tell, tell us about that. Are, are we investing in, in the Russian Federation? Do we have pension investments and things like that? Well, we have um, about $9 billion of money in, uh, in Chinese investments. So because of oil and gas, I would assume that we've got you know, some amount, obviously much lower, uh, because uh, of all the oil and gas connections that are out there or potential investments. Um, and, but we need to study it, uh, find out what we've got, look at the companies. In fact, this letter would direct the comptroller to have a list of companies and tell the state agencies and the, and the pension plans to, uh, to you know, pull out of that. Uh, but we need to investigate it because, quite frankly, any money in the Russian Federation is one, $1 too many right now. Should we shouldn't be investing there. It's not it's not the right uh, taxpayer uh, location because of the risk and the human rights violations are, are staggering given this unprovoked invasion of the Ukraine. Should companies be doing the same thing? We saw BP do that. We spoke with uh, Todd Staples about that and how extraordinary that is that BP is pulling out of a, a huge Russian investment. Should should other companies be doing the same? We have other uh, big oil and then gas companies here. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of that's intertwined internationally, uh, including with Russia. Well, BP made a decision based upon what they thought was the right thing to do, their shareholders, et cetera. That's 20 percent stake in that big Russian field. So that's an enormous amount of money. Uh, the I think that we've got to take the lead uh, in both in the private sector and in the governmental sector, like with this and say, you know, we really can't be effectively trading or in business with with uh, with a country that has a dictatorship and an oligarchy that will just invade their neighbors without any uh, rational reason for it. Um, so I, for one, uh, would, you know, commend BP for what they're doing. I think every company needs to look at it. Uh, and this gives a period of time for people to divest. But uh, importantly, uh, we shouldn't have any public stake in R Russian Federation co companies or their oligarchs' positions, much less Vladimir Putin, who apparently is the richest person in the country, maybe the richest man in the world because he's uh, been involved in what is effectively organized crime for and theft for a long time. Give us some examples, Senator, of, of what type of investments we would have. Would it be pension investments, et cetera? And, and then who all signed on to that letter and what do you expect uh, the lieutenant governor to do? Well, um, we have until Friday to turn in interim charges. Uh, I've told lieutenant governor I've got a letter out. Uh, this morning, uh, Senators uh, Lucio, Colcourt, Hall, and Perry said they would sign on. And, and, and the last paragraph is – talks about teachers' retirement system, county, district uh, retirement systems, uh, you know, permanent school fund, municipal fund, pension funds, 
you know, employee retirement funds, you name it, emergency service districts. And basically, you can see that at, T, at, at uh, I think we have that posted already on my website at uh, paulbetancourt.com. That's, I think it's in Facebook and in Twitter posts. And, and to explain to our, our listeners what an interim charge is, it's in between the legislature meets in Texas every two years and they meet there for what, five and a half months. Um, and in between that time, every two years, you guys still get together and, and look at different things that you want to uh, you know, put together in legislation for the following session. So you return to um, uh, the Capitol to actually work for a legislative session, gaveled back in next January. So an interim charge is essentially the work you're doing in the meantime. Right. The interim charge is we, the Lieutenant Governor asked for a request from the senators to be studied in the off year. Of course, it feels like we don't have an off year because we barely left last year. And, and this is one that I think is an important one to study because we really have to look at our, our investments, our pension funds, other agency funds that we may have. And, and this also applies to, you know, university. There's all sorts of tangential funds that are out there. Um, we've just got to draw a bright line here because uh, we just simply can't be, you know, trading with people uh, that uh, could start a war like that. I think that there is a, a groundswell uh, of support among, you know, regular Texans, uh, you know, to do something here as well. Uh, I think a lot of people have been moved by the images that they've been seeing on TV and the facts of, you know, what has happened in this conflict. Um, I, I think that though we at least we seem to see some weakening there when people talk about gas prices, they, they want to do something about it. But then when it starts to affect gas prices, boy, people go bananas over that. Is there anything at all that the state can do to cushion some of that blow that we're feeling at the pump? Well, if you since you visited with Todd Staples, um, uh, you know, the you know, the basic economics here. Look, the basic economics are simple. You know, instability drives up oil prices. OK, now to an outfit like the Russian Federation oligarchs, you have to hit them where it hurts, which is in the pocketbook. Now, the fact that Germany and Italy both allowed the SWIFT banking uh, blocks to go in is quite a change because, for example, natural gas over there costs five times as much as it does in the U.S. So one of the things we should be doing, and I'm sure, uh, you know, all of our, our petrochemical folks, uh, in, including the people you've been interviewing lately, we're going to be talking about is we should be exporting, you know, Texas gas, U.S. gas. I don't care, you know, what state it comes from gas, because it's a lot cheaper than what the Europeans are paying for. And it gets them off of Russian gas. And that's part of this economic blackmail that Russia has been doing and trying to hold, you know, literally the sort of democracies over the, everyone's head is that if you don't look the other way, we're going to cut off your gas, uh, et cetera. So we need to get back to energy independence in Texas. I mean, excuse me, in the U.S., based on Texas, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, wherever else we can get our energy resources from and, and get to a net export position, stop relying on importing a Russian oil and help the Europeans out on natural gas. That would go a long way to stabilizing the Western Bloc uh, and the expanded 30 country NATO, I mean, uh, uh, NATO and EU blocks at this point. But, but if we, you know, add even more gas to the European market, isn't that going to raise what we pay for it here? Well, the you, until we get enough supply, that price always goes up. All right. 
I mean, what you're seeing here is the age old issue and all of us have been around this. We've seen oil prices come up and down. We've seen gas prices come up and down. And when you make mistakes like the Biden administration has of cutting off the Keystone pipeline, well, gee, the Keystone pipeline is enough just on one pipeline to have knocked out the Russian uh, imports that we're taking in the US now. So it, we've got to be, we have to think that energy is a weapon in the 21st century when the bad guys like Putin use it. So we need to be as independent as possible and get our friends and allies as independent as possible as well. So we're about to get over the hump here of uh, primary elections. Thank goodness. Uh, and uh, then we start uh, training our focus on the midterms, the general election in November. I'm curious, how many promises are we going to see for everything under the sun, Senator Betancourt, now that we know that we're flush with cash? Um. You know, I, it, a, a record number. <laughs> now, you know, we're all going to live long and prosper if we have a prosperous economy and a and a you know and a great state budget. But uh, the sum of these proposals will not make it off the finish line. Let's put it that way. Hey, before we let you go, uh, you were talking about you know everyone's talking about trying to punish Russia in some form or fashion. Houston, for as international a city as it is, uh, which is you know partially what you represent. Houston also has the uh, the Russia uh, Chamber of Commerce down there that, that helps recruit businesses and promotes uh, Russian businesses um, as well. What do you think about that? Is that something that should uh, take a hiatus, close up shop? They're not welcome in Houston or, or should we let this thing play out in Ukraine? Well, look, all of this is going to have to be looked at. Look, the individual, the problem is not with the individual Russian people. It's not with the individual employee at the Russian Chamber of Commerce. The problems with we've got a stone, you know, uh, you know, stone faced killer in Vladimir Putin. He's been a KGB agent his whole life. And now he's trying to conduct it on a countrywide scale. He's done it in Georgia. He did it in the Crimea. Now he's doing it with the rest of the Ukraine. So we either have to stand up and be counted like Churchill or get run over like Chamberlain. And I vote that we don't get run over. I think we need to stand up. And if that means we have to look at every one of the Russian diplomats that are over here uh, and, and whether or not to expel them, that's just part of what has to happen. Um, we're not the ones doing the invasion. They are, so they suffer the consequences, which need to be massive, huge, and ongoing uh, until that whole set of leadership is stamped out one way or the other. Well, last thing, then uh, I'll end on a tangent there uh, because you were talking about wanting to divest from investments in Russia uh, and how the state has investments there, as well as a lot of investment in China. China, as you know, has not been very forceful uh, in coming out against this invasion, which really uh, you know, sets them uh, sort of alone in the international community. How concerned are you that Texas is so invested in China? We have to look at any location where there is high risk for investments, because the problem with the Communist Chinese Party or what's happening in Russia is that they could change the rules at the snap of the finger and your investment can literally evaporate. Now, you have to also, on the same side of that coin, you have to look at the human rights violations, which in China are substantial and uh, and in the, you know, in literally in the millions, okay, uh, from what we've seen in Western China. So I, for one, am already publicly saying we need to ask these questions. We need to be talking about this. I did that during the Olympics. Um, and this horrific invasion of Russia just makes it clear that we have to act now as opposed to later. 
Senator, thanks so much for the time. And uh, let us know what the uh, lieutenant governor says, too. Well, we'll do. We, he has, we, we have until the 4th to get all this in. And of course, you, you'll be hearing from Lieutenant Governor. He's not bashful about this stuff, as you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Th- thanks so Senator, much. Thank you. Guys. Okay. Bye. So, Wheeler, did you notice that you said China a lot? And you say it a lot like President Trump said China. Do I? Do yeah, I say China? China. I thought I, said, I thought I just said China. No. And I, I say you, it a lot? You said it several times in, in the Q&A there with Senator Betancourt. I, I was surprised that. that that you, you kind of have that Trump way of saying China, China, China. China. I, never been told that. Interesting. You learn something new about yourself every day. You're welcome. I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, Jason, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get the property tax no. relief that you're looking for. I know that, you know, Senator Betancourt's bringing it up and there will be others who bring it up, too. I'm telling you right now. It's no joke. I mean, it sounds like a joke a little bit. What I was asking him about between now and November how many promises are we going to hear about all the things we're going to do here in Texas? Because I'm telling you, the money is rolling in from oil and gas revenue, from sales tax revenue. Keep in mind, and it's no slam against the comptroller's office here in Texas. They're the ones who put this budget together. They're the ones, and they have to look out in the future. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to look at this, you know, sort of crystal ball and go, okay, guys, y'all are making a budget for two years because you only meet every two years. So I'm going to try to tell you what we think we're going to bring in over those two years. Heck, I can't even do my budget for like a month. So I, you know, I'm not hating on anybody. What are you talking? You're the, you're the money guy. What are you talking about? Exactly. It's, it's, it's funny how you can tell other people how to do things, but you can't do it yourself. Uh, so so the thing is, is that, you know, they, they took their best shot at these numbers. But the problem is, remember, when we were in the session last uh, summer and before that, that's when they're giving those numbers. We're in some really bad times of the pandemic. You know, the waves are coming over us. Uh, things are not looking good. Uh, business is not moving at full speed. Uh, oil and gas is not moving at full speed. And then right after that is when you started to see the world sort of coming alive again and inflation kicking in and the need for oil and gas worldwide and people getting out again and spending money and sales tax and all of that. So their receipts are just going through the roof compared to what they thought they were going to be receiving here in Texas. And then now war is pushing oil and gas to like crazy highs. And so, yes, there again, the Texas is taking in even more money because they tax all of that oil and gas that's produced here. Always estimate low, though, right? Always shoot low. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's my whole mantra in life, you know, (laughs) (laughs) under promise, over deliver. You've arrived here at Yolitics, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) You are aiming low. But at at the end of the day, you're exactly right. What what will Ukraine do to 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 the state budget Um, if if Putin decides to turn off the spigot over there? Uh, either way, just because of the post-pandemic world we're, we're living in here, I don't yeah. say post-pandemic, but we're, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic and, and more people are, are ready to, you know, are, are spending even more money. We thought we were spending a lot of money before. They're, they're forecast to spend even more this summer. I would say that Putin has done himself a great disservice, too, because these European countries that depend on his petroleum products are having now to look elsewhere because things are getting unstable and they don't know if that supply is going to be there. And so they are having to reach out to places like the United States and Texas specifically. And you wonder, do those relationships continue? 
even after all of this is resolved because they go, you know, you did that once. So well, actually you've done it twice now, three times really, if you keep going back through the years. So maybe we ought to find a more stable supply. Uh, and I will tell you that uh, from the Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners Association, that's a mouthful, mm. Tipro, uh, they sent me some facts and figures the other day and they said between November of last year and January of this year, the exports of liquefied natural gas from Texas doubled from November of last year to January of this year. So think about wow. that. And and it really is, a, it's, it's a great thing that we're able to help out our, our allies in Europe. But you just wonder, you know, will those ties remain? Because we're bringing more of those LNG facilities online here in Texas, as you heard Todd Staples saying there. And that could significantly, you know, turn into a relationship going back and forth even when this is all said and done and that relationship could affect the state budget and and, and what legislators spend money on and you maybe, might actually get your tax relief just maybe it might happen if that happens i'll make sure matthias brings you a beer wheeler all right <laughs> matthias i'm waiting on you man i'm waiting <laughs> on you thanks everybody for listening jason's taking a big drink right now uh we will uh, do it all again next week